I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the show that brings all of us together to share everything from our pain to our laughter. Today I'm chatting to Tom Walker. Writing for me is me going through the actual emotions of what is happening to my friends or my family or to me. It's like, it is my therapy. That's kind of why I started writing, to be honest. I never, ever thought I would end up being a singer-songwriter. I always wanted to be a guitarist in in a band. I never wanted to sing, ever. Tom is the writer and voice behind songs like the epic Leave a Light On. And given how much I adore music, I loved getting to talk to him about how, despite the music industry wanting to measure success in numbers, he prefers to measure it by his own inner satisfaction. Definitely some big lessons there that we can all learn about seeking internal rather than external validation. Now, this is another one of our live episodes from the Happy Place Festival in Chiswick this summer. And look, I'll be honest, I went a bit rogue near the end. I <laughs> I decided just spontaneously to ask everyone in the audience if they had any questions for the lovely Tom. And the tech team weren't set up for that deviation from the schedule. So you might not be able to hear all of the questions perfectly, but I thought Tom gave some really lovely answers. So I wanted to be able to include those so you can hear them as well. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, here it is. This is the show. See Tom. Thanks. First things first. Say hi to Tom. First things first. Hello. Um, <laughs> really lovely audience. Like the nicest audience you've ever met in your life. Just ting that up. Um, Tom, talk to me about your neck fan. Oh yeah. Well, it's from Amazon. It's eleven quid. I'm not. I'm not plugging it, by the way. I'm just recommending it. If you buy one, I won't get any money. But it's eleven quid. Goes around your neck. There's a fan either side. Three speeds. Right. <laughs> And for those ravers out there, there's a light show with also three different settings. It pulses out greens, blues, purples. It's magical. No, that bit's annoying. But the fan bit is great that you don't have to hold it. Well, if you rave off, you know it's probably not annoying. It'd be magical. I have been (laughs) raving for a long time. You're saying this this fan's become a necessity at festivals because your trademark is a woolly hat. Yeah, bit of a stupid decision, really. mm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I did. I did make that decision. I want to say like November, where I was like, "Oh, this is like a thing. I'll just wear a beanie. <laughs> Great!" And uh, I played a festival yesterday in Switzerland. It was thirty-eight degrees. <laughs> and I was wearing out. a beanie. I felt like a <laughs> right idiot. <laughs> is there ever a point where you can get like a new thing and the hat goes, or is it? Just well, I'm a... seriously considering it this year. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Can yeah. the neck fan not be the thing? I mean, it could be. It yeah. Could be. <laughs> Maybe grow a Mohican or something. No, yes. Basically anything other than the beanie. Is, uh... so, yeah, I, we, we, we'll sort of rethink it and give it some thought. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is obviously a new thing for you, being at a festival not singing. 
Yes, absolutely. Also, doing a live podcast in front of an audience. I've done many a podcast, but never in front of an audience. So, uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, a new experience for everybody. That's yeah. what this weekend is hopefully about. Us all just having new experiences, meeting new people, making mates, trying new stuff, and hopefully it's all going swimmingly well out there at the moment. So thank you. <laughs> it looks you. pretty good. Yeah, it looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's pretty marvelous. good. Weather's on your side. There's a nice little uh, river, lake. I don't know what to call that at the back, but yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, what is it? Is it a river? Is it a lake? A little lake. A little lake. It's a little, little lake. There's some ducklings on the lake. It's all very picturesque. But I'm so grateful for your time because you've been insanely busy as ever. Yeah performing at different festivals, travelling about. How's the festival season been so far? So good. It's just so nice to be back out and just see people together, enjoying music, having a great time. Like, you know, obviously not being able to do that during the pandemic for every musician, you know, for every member of my team, at least, was just was just so buzzing to be back and, like, appreciating on it on a, on a whole other level because it is just an amazing thing. Like, we were in Switzerland the other day, beautiful weather, great crowd. Everyone was just so elated to be there so uh, yeah. yeah I'm happy to be back and seeing other people's faces appreciating your music I mean that yeah. connection is unrivaled you can't get that on a webcam or a zoom like actually seeing people standing in a crowd singing your words back at you swaying about I mean that feeling must be euphoria yeah it's amazing especially you know that was that was the difficult kind of thing like when you can't gig and you're testing out m new material only on social media or whatever, it's really hard to gauge, like, is this a great song? Are people really going to love this? Like, you need to be in the room or at a festival with people kind of judging how it's going to go down. So to go out and play some new material and be like, mm, people are really feeling this one, but that one, that I, yeah, that's probably yeah. not the one. <laughs> you it's know quite I mean? instant, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. So to, so, so to get that kind of instant feedback is, is so lovely. And how was it coming out of uh, a year, two years, not performing at all, to then go back on stage, be at big festivals? Did you, did you feel kind of nerves that weren't there before, or how did you acclimatise to that? I'm pretty sure I was almost close to having like a small panic attack before mm. the first gig I did, because I was just so... It had been such a long time. We were so out of practice... Um, you know, a whole two years has gone by since we'd done a gig. And then the first one back was a kind of a bit of a strange setup. It was like 30 people in squares that were all distances out. Oh, <laughs> pointless. It was a really weird setup. I mean, it was, it was really cool, but it was, it was a bit odd. So the whole thing just felt a bit like, like people weren't quite ready to go back to it. Mm. Yeah, and I kind of felt the same way. But like after like, you know, a couple of festivals, I was right back into it, loving every second of it. Yeah, and like you say, with that added appreciation of, I certainly feel like it about the festival and seeing everybody here. It's like, I took that for granted before. I took it for granted that we would have that union and that time together. And I think especially for gigs, I can't think what the first gig was I went back to I think it was a festival last summer it might have even been the one that I saw you play at yeah. but everybody was walking around grinning just like this feels so good and I'm it's lovely to have that extra layer of appreciation for something that we just totally took for granted before 100% I mean I've got to say the highlight for the year for me was Glastonbury oh like, my god people were just I'm gonna be so jealous tell me they were just so happy to be there I wasn't like, there I didn't see a little even a little bit of like somebody 
you know, feeling a bit of like somebody kicking off in the no. air. There was none of that. Everyone was just so happy to be there, just so grateful to be together again. And the atmosphere, it was just, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. Um, I had to not look on Instagram that weekend. I can imagine I there'd be a lot like, of FOMO. I, I, don't really get, I don't even get FOMO. I like being in my house. I'm like, oh, thank God. But that weekend, I was like... I just want to be there so badly because I knew you could tell that that would be the feeling of it. And Paul McCartney was there. Yeah. Oh. It was. It was a big. It was a big year to be fair. But also, you know, you got to watch it on the telly. I'm assuming. Oh, right? shut up! <laughs> I am <laughs> so good watching it on the telly. I loved it. Also, you didn't have to deal with the seven-day oh, hangover. Yeah. <laughs> It oh. took me so long to recover. I didn't book any time off. Like, as soon as I got back on the Tuesday, I was right back into the thick of it. And that was one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life. I was, like, doing live interviews on TV, trying Ooh. to pretend that I wasn't completely <laughs> dying inside. Sweating here. <laughs> yeah, after four days on the session at Glastonbury. So, it was uh, so yeah. worth it. So when you do Glastonbury, do you get to have time where you are just mooching around and watching things as well as performing? So this year, I only did uh, one gig on a secret stage. It was like well it was not a secret stage it was a secret set at the rabbit hole amazing um, and i played the thursday at like 6 p.m oh, and then lovely. i just had thursday friday saturday sunday just to just go out and enjoy the festival what did you do who did you see uh god so many people <laughs> also not enough you know it's it's such a like gigantic place yeah. you, you make a list of like oh i'm gonna go see like 40 artists this weekend you end up seeing about five yeah. you know what i mean um, I think Muramasa was probably the highlight for me. That was really good. I caught like half of Paul McCartney's set before heading to Muramasa because I didn't want to miss that set. That was also great. So yeah. there was some some amazing uh, talent. Sam Fender, that was incredible. Love Sam. So yeah, it was awesome. How brilliant. Oh, I'm so happy for you, Tom. Um, over the moon <laughs> that you got to have such a good time. Um, so I'm so interested to hear about your experiences of the music industry and, and how you're absolutely smashing it because I w I've always worked, I guess, on the outside of it, on the peripherals, radio and, sure. and whatnot. And you can see that it is a ruthless industry and we all kind of know it is. Yeah. And you seem to have retained just a lovely normalness about you. And I mean that in the best possible way that... You, you're untouched by the the sort of grandeur of it and the the furore that surrounds it and the craziness that I'm sure you're under the pressure of labels and a team and and the global demand. Now that's how the world seemingly works with entertainment. What are your what's your take on it? Coming from you know you were a chef beforehand, you then moved into you know using this beautiful gift that you have in creating music, but. How, how do you exist in, in that craziness? I mean, it is by far the best job I've ever had in my life. I'll, <laughs> I'll put that out there. Like, I, you know, when I first met my partner, Annie, I was giving out leaflets for a living for TFL. I was giving leaflets out on cycling safety to moving cyclists. Wow. It seemed very counterproductive to me at the time. <laughs> uh, but it was paying the bills. And then after that, I kind of worked for a photo booth company four days a week, which allowed me to, like, get on with you know, doing music. I wasn't working as many hours as when I was a chef or whatever. So it's it's obviously a big jump. Like, the first five years of this job, there's really no time off. Like, you never get a weekend off. You're just constantly working and even trying to, like, get a holiday. You have to, like, campaign to your management. <laughs> you have to campaign to the label. Like, it would be really nice to have a bit of time off now because I feel like I'm going slightly insane. Um, yeah. But it's it's... You know, I love every minute. Of, I'm so fortunate to be in this job. But there are definitely bits of it that are, that are, you know, a bit trying, for sure. 
Yeah, just the, and that relentlessness, like you say. You know, I think yeah. I again got a glimpse of that when I was at radio and seeing uh, an artist or a band would come in, do this very high-pressured live performance, and then you're probably in another country by the end of the day. And that yeah. that is ruthless. You know, how do you how do you get any balance if that's even possible? I think you don't. You're kind of so busy that you don't really realise your mental state until you eventually do get a little break and then it kind of all hits you at once. I think the pandemic for me was like such a strange time because I'd literally gigged straight for like four years. Yeah. You know, the year before the pandemic, we did, I think, 135 gigs in a year. I went to New Zealand for two days. I oh, mean, who God. does that? And then flew back to the UK. It's like, went to Australia, did like a different city uh, every night for four days, then flew to Japan and like we, it's just this mad roller coaster that kind of never stops and while you're on it you definitely you just get used to being tired you get used to going to bed at three o'clock in the morning and then having to get up for six for a flight on three hours sleep then planting your face into the seat for like five hours <laughs> and then waking up in a different place and being like okay right promo do a live thing do a tv thing do a gig and then just repeating it but when I eventually did stop, I, I, I didn't know what to do with myself, honestly. I didn't know who I was. I, I was kind of just at home thinking, right, I'm going to write this next album and I'm going to have loads to say. And then realised that when I'm not out and about doing stuff, like, I felt I had nothing to say. And it was like a real moment of clarity. Like, who am I? Am I, am I me or am I this Tom Walker? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? It's I like, do know what you're saying because I think for most of us... Um, whether it's a job or it's your family or it's a hobby, when we make ourselves incredibly busy, yeah. it's excellent and it's, you know, it's very celebrated in our everyday culture. But it, it also stops us from just working out how we actually feel. It's the biggest distraction, really, yeah. from... And, you know, a lot of it, we don't have any sway, you know, say over. We, we, we need to work or we need to care for our children or whatever it is. But when it's relentless, like it is in the music industry, yeah. you can get lost in that. And people will just keep going, oh, my God, you're so busy. It's amazing. Nobody's yeah. going to say to you, do you think that's a good idea? You know, we celebrate busyness constantly. And, you know, I do this all the time. I'm, like, oh, I'm so busy. I haven't had a day off in eight years. I'm exhausted. And we sort of <laughs> boast about it. Yeah. But actually, it's the worst thing for us. And we do need that time to stop and recalibrate and work out. Like you just said, who the hell we are, what we like anymore. I mean, yeah. what did you discover in that sort of fallow period, that downtime of you not gigging? What did you learn about yourself and who you are? And I guess going back to what you said there, like, am I me or am I this Tom Walker character? Yeah. You know, because I think a lot, a lot of people in your industry, my industry, you do have a sort of a work persona, which you can still be very honest and authentic, but it's almost a bit of protection because you need to be this thing that you've built and people expect you to turn up and be a certain thing. Like, you know, I'm not going to turn up to the festival today and be the grumpy me that I might have been at home <laughs> yesterday. You, you, no hey, one wants to see time, that. There's still time, there's still time. Yeah, still time. <laughs> um, we, you know, you, you, have to, you do build a character to an extent. So has that yeah. merged in, in the time of, of the pandemic? I think it's, it's more me realising that you've got to have a good balance. And I think our industry can be so unhealthy at promoting that kind of balance. Because it's like, if you don't go out and do this, someone else is going to come along and it's take your place. Awful. And yeah. it is really like that in the music industry. And like, as much as, you know, managers and labels are trying at their absolute best to kind of get with the times and pr promote a bit of healthy work-life balance. Like, the reality is like, 
Sometimes you just have to go and go and go. And if you turn down this one thing, then you're going to lose these other eight things. And it's going to be out the window. And you're kind of pushed into this, you have to do it thing. And like, I, it, you know, it did get to one point where I was in like a car park somewhere in Germany and just like had a full on like mental breakdown because we hadn't had a day off for like 30 days. I didn't know where we were, didn't know what we were doing. And it's like, again, like as I said at the start, this is by far the best thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, but you're still allowed I, I, to have moments I, that yeah, are tough. Yeah, absolutely. But like at, at certain points when you just do work so hard and never get a moment to breathe, you are eventually going to like crack. And, and that definitely happened to me at one point. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because you, you, our brains can't function at that speed. And also life just got quicker anyway for all of us in, yeah. in every sense with... Even, you know, if someone doesn't text you back within 10 minutes, you're like, oh, great, that's <laughs> off, that's that then. They obviously don't like me. Or, or, are they, or are they alive? You know, you start to sort of panic about things. We're so used to this instant, we're always contactable. We're, and also, yeah. looking at social media, we have to seemingly sort of constantly put ourselves out there to exist, you know, especially yeah. in your industry as well. And, and in your industry and in sort of social media land, this um, comparison that we're constantly sort of fed that, you know, someone, someone else is doing this or is this person doing that better? Or like you've just said, you know, if your management are saying, if you don't do this, you won't end up doing these eight things. You know, how do you deal with that level of comparison? And also everything's quantifiable these days. This person has this many followers. This person sold this many records. This yeah. person's tour sold this many tickets. We're so seemingly obsessed with numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Which kills the bit which you're amazing at, which is the creativity, like saying things that impact people on a personal level. So how are you coping with that? I think the numbers thing is a really strange thing because obviously there's always been in the music industry, you've sold this many records, yeah. but like that information wasn't always kind of readily available to the public. Whereas now when you go on Spotify, it's like when you go to an artist, their most popular songs are in order and how many streams those songs have yeah. had are the first thing that you see. Is, is it like before the bio? The bio's underneath that bit, yeah. you know? And I always find that fascinating, but I think Mike Posner, who I've been looking a lot into his social media recently, and he obviously had some absolutely massive songs, but then realised that, you know, he wasn't quite happy with what he was doing and the way he was doing it. And I've kind of been looking over to him because he, he has to like has a seriously good work-life balance and does all these amazing things. You know, like he walked across America. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is absolutely I want to do nuts. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I do because I've driven it and like... It, <laughs> it's long. My God, we, it took us 18 days to drive it. So how right. he walked across America... I'm romanticising it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe walking across England would be all right. Okay. It's not too far. We'll start there. But I think he, he's a good example of like somebody who's still writes songs for huge people but also like doesn't feel the need to do it every single day like I think you can get really caught up in this game that if you're like if I take two weeks off that's it my career's gonna be over like it's just such an unhealthy way to think so I'm just trying to make trying to make some music that I absolutely love I'm trying to make songs that when I go to a festival people are gonna be jumping and going mad and they're gonna feel the energy in it do you know what I mean because I felt I felt like on my first album I, I wrote a lot of very down-tempo, depressing songs. They always had a little, you know, little... Uh, oh, they always had a, a hook, Silver, silver yeah. lining in there somewhere, do you know what I mean? But, like, this album, I've really, like, taken a bit of inspiration from drum and bass because it's just so exciting. It's kind of making a little return, not in terms of, like, the way that it sounds, but the actual speed of it, you know what I mean? So that when you get to a festival, you feel like you can get going to it. Yeah, we need... Well, especially now we're back out doing things. That's yeah. certainly what we need to be doing. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk about your songwriting because whenever I've read articles about your or even spoken to you on your podcast, I know that it, it feels important to you to write about things that are very everyday, they're relatable subjects that everybody can go, oh, I those lyrics, they, they must be for me. I understand those feelings, I understand what Tom's talking about. How do you decipher what those subjects are, what you think is going to really resonate with people? I think it, it's... I don't really do it that way around. It, it always fascinates me when people come to me and they were like, that song is exactly about this situation that I'm in and, like, I, it's like you were writing that song for me and it's like, as much as I can try and write for other people, the songs where I've done that, they've not resonated at all. Mm. It's only when I take personal experience, like things that have happened to me, things that have happened to family members, things that have happened to friends, like what people are going through in my circle is what I've always written about. And I think that's, again, like during the pandemic, it was like me and Annie at home, my missus. And I was just like, I could only write so many songs about Annie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Annie's making a cup of tea. Yeah. Before people are going to be like, right, we've heard about Annie now. <laughs> what else is going on? So... So now that the, everything's back open and we're out doing all these kind of, you know, very um, inspirational things again, it, it feels a lot easier. So I've always just tried to make my writing as completely honest as, as possible. I think there's even more of that in this new album that's going to be coming at some point. I'm not sure when because it's not finished yet, but just trying to keep it as honest and real as possible has always been the thing for me. And is there, you know, say on this new album, when you're writing about something that you've personally experienced or you know someone that you love is going through something and you're writing about it, yeah. does that help you on any level to understand that situation better, to see things from a different angle, to process things, work through them? Yeah, I think 100%. I think writing for me is me going through the actual emotions of what is happening to my friends or my family or to me. It's like, it is my therapy. That's kind of why I started writing, to be honest. I never, ever thought I would end up being a singer-songwriter. I always wanted to be a guitarist in a, in a band. I never wanted to sing, ever. And I applied for the, the guitar course at the London Centre of Contemporary Music, and they were like, nah, you're not good enough. Oh. <laughs> But I'd actually written a bunch of songs and I'd kind of sang in this awful, terrible voice, like, I'm going to release these demos one day to Please. see, to show people the actual progress. <laughs> because they were so shocking, my voice was so terrible. But they were like, we really like your lyrical concepts and we think you're a good songwriter. There's a songwriting course, why don't you come and do that instead? Wow. And it's such a weird pinnacle moment in my life where I went from wanting to be a guitarist, doing solos in a band and essentially just, you know, drinking through every gig, to actually, like, wanting to say something and trying to capture some emotions that really resonated with me. And, you know, yeah, imagine if I'd got into that guitar course. I don't know what I'd be doing now, to be Oh, honest. it's so brilliant. But I love stories like that because you have to trust in the greater picture. Because in those moments where you're disappointed, like, I didn't get on the guitar course. Yeah. You know, to I was have, devastated. Of course yeah. you were. But then this wonderful twist of fate. You know, I can certainly relate to that with... I, I didn't feel at a point in my career that presenting was going the way I wanted to. And it also wasn't... 
I don't know, feeding my soul, if you want to go that deep into it. I wasn't feeling the feelings that I did back in the day. Yeah. And I honestly didn't know what I was going to do. I was devastated. And then I've ended up doing all this other random stuff. And it's like holding out hope for like, there is a better path. Like it, it yeah. is possible. And, you know, it's one thing for you to, to go and start doing a, a songwriting course, but to actually feel like, I want people to hear these songs yeah. is another matter. When did you feel the confidence that you could actually have other people hear, you know, very sort of lyrics that come from a very deep place within you? Yeah, it was actually my, my first um, first year songwriting tutor, uh, Jez Ashes, who is a really amazing songwriter in the industry. It just so happened I had him for my first year and like, he's amazing. Wow. He's written for so many like amazing people. He's written for Leona Lewis. Like the list is endless. And he, we actually wrote the first song from my EP, Blessings. I wrote it with him, which is a really strange thing to do years after finishing my uni degree to come back into a room and end up doing that song with him that kicked off the whole album. But it was him that kind of pulled me aside. And the only reason I'd sang on these demos that I was handing in was because I didn't know any singers. I'd just moved to London. I didn't know anybody. I'd moved in with three Italians I'd never met. Wow. Uh, whose English was like... Not not questionable, but like it was a damn sight better than my Italian, but <laughs> but you know, like wasn't amazing. Yeah. By the end of the th three years, they all had northern accents. It was, <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. But I, I kind of started just singing on those demos because I didn't know who to ask, I didn't know any singers, and it was actually Jez, my first year tutor, who was like, There's something here, mate. These songs are great, your voice is great, like stop trying to write for somebody else like be your own artist like you could definitely be an artist and honestly if it wasn't for him pushing me again it's one of those situations where if I hadn't kind of had a little helping hand in the right direction I, I don't know what I would have done and when did that confidence properly kick in for you without someone saying you've got this you can do it because I think you know we've been I've been talking a lot to people walking around and I did a smaller talk earlier and one thing that keeps coming up and I've had this also with the podcast is imposter syndrome yeah. and people you know, having, I spoke to this lovely lady earlier who was the CEO of a charity and she felt like she shouldn't be doing the job. I, I'm, a, I'm an imposter. I shouldn't be doing, you know, even saying it out loud. I, this seems made up. When did you get to the point, or, or are you still grappling with that one, that you are a singer-songwriter, celebrated. You can command a whole group of people at a festival when you're performing. You know, do you still deal with that at all? I, yeah, I, I think especially from a singing perspective... I don't really think I'm much of a singer. What sound? are you talking about? I know about? it sounds absolutely mental, but it's like just one of those things that I've just... There's so many people who I feel like they're just born to sing. They can do all these amazing, like, R&B soul runs. Like, yeah, like you. No, but I can't do that. So honestly, like, I really have to practice to do those kind of things. I really have to put the time in. It wasn't something that came naturally to me. Like I was saying with my really early demos from when I was like 14, if I showed you them, you'd be like, this guy's never going to be a singer. This is terrible. We're 100% putting them on YouTube <laughs> yeah, we'll within the month. We'll get them up. Maybe <laughs> after I drop the album so it doesn't okay. put people off. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I do struggle a bit like that because I'm chasing perfection. I do think a lot of artists do that. They want, the be they want to hear the best version of what they're what they know is possible and some gigs I hear back and I'm like, oh, we could have done this bit better and that bit could have been better. But over the last like year and a half, I've really tried to like appreciate what we are doing because of, you know, not being able to do it and coming back to it. 
I have to say to myself, like, look at what we did today. Like, look at what we achieved. Look how buzzing everybody was. Everyone was jumping. The crowd was amazing. Like, stop giving yourself such a hard time. You're obviously doing something right, you know? And I think it is good to look back and, and, and try and improve, but to obsess about it, it's unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. And I think, again, everyone in this tent now would agree that perfectionism is, like, one of the worst killers of happiness like you could be feeling relatively good in one moment and then that horrible little voice comes in and starts that acerbic sort of rant that you know like you've just said this could have been better that could have happened you know I do it certainly after most podcasts I think oh I, oh, I listen back to the edit and I'll critique myself and yeah. you know I think your attitude to it is exactly what we should all be aiming for is you know, look what, it doesn't have to be this huge grand thing, but look what I've achieved. Look, or, or I sometimes try and lean more into the feeling of it rather than, oh, I messed that bit up. I shouldn't have said that. You know, did people walk away happy? Was the guest happy? Did, did we feel happy making that episode? And yeah. looking at the feeling rather than this like elusive perfection that is just not attainable. If everybody hasn't got up and left and gone to the bar, you have, <laughs> you have done something right. Exactly. That is what I tell myself now. Because exactly. believe me, when I was first starting out, that happened to plenty. Oh. So, so, you know, and, and imagine how many amazing artists have never released music because they're chasing their version of perfection, yeah. which is unobtainable. Yeah. So I really have tried to just... When it comes to new songs, I try and just chuck stuff up now on social media and just like not overthink it and not spend like four hours doing the vocal that I'm eventually going to do again anyway. Do you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Just just to kind of like, just go with it. See what people think. If they don't like it, they don't like it, whatever. Just if you love it and you think it's great, fire it up. And as well as your, the natural talent that you've got, songwriting and singing and performing, what personality traits do you think you have that have got you to this point? Because as we know, especially with how the internet works now, mm. there are so many people wanting to make it in this industry. So many people uploading their music constantly or going out on the streets. I saw the most incredible singer on the streets yesterday in my town. I put him on Instagram. I don't know who this kid was, but his voice was outrageous. And there's obviously so many people desperate to do what you're doing yeah. what traits do you think you have outside of your skill set that have got you to where you are Ooh, wow that's a existential question uh i think i think just being honest about the the songwriting is is the main thing for me it's like even if you're an amazing singer like the best in the world if the songs aren't there then it's going to be really difficult and if you're not being honest as well and you're trying to fake your way through something, writing about something you've got no idea about or that you haven't been through, people can, can sense that, you know? And I've definitely done it with songs in the past, you know? I'm not saying every song is the true, perfect version of itself and, you know, every bit of it's completely true, but the ones that have been the most true and, and like, the most accurate and represented my life are the ones that have resonated with people. So I think sticking to that is, is such a key thing because... You just have to be real. You've got to be yourself. When you start trying to fake it, it just, it just goes all wrong. Yeah. Um, I think so. that's for like all areas of life. It's just, you just, yeah. all you can be is yourself and, and be honest. And I think it's probably the most uncomfortable thing for most of us that we, we don't know if it's okay to just be ourselves, turn up as ourselves, but it's, it's all we can do. And it will probably be more fruitful than any other route trying to be 
you know, emulate someone else's thing. Yeah, copying or, just doesn't work, does no, it? Because like doesn't. somebody's probably doing such an amazing version of themselves and trying yeah. to be like a second best version of them. Like, be the, just gotta be, be you. the best version of you. I mean, one of the most honest songs that obviously resonated hugely is Leave a Light On, where you're talking about a friend that was struggling with addiction at the time. And I, I love this sentiment that you, you're saying, there's a light on, you're not gonna be constantly saying, hey, I'm here, let's talk, but you're just saying, you know, there's a light on when you need me, I'll yeah. be here. And I think that's very beautiful because you can't force somebody to, to heal, change, you can't speed that up for them, as painful as that is to a friend, yeah. a family member. It's, um, it's a really lovely sentiment. How, how did that song evolve from ha having those feelings and realizing there's probably a ton of other people out there that are on both sides of that dynamic? When I wrote that song, I, I literally wasn't thinking about anything other than this specific experience I was having with a friend of mine. And he was just getting a bit lost and, and drinking so much. And everyone was concerned. And it is so difficult to tell an adult that they're not living their life right. Especially like when you're quite young and like partying is like almost, you know advertised as a really cool thing like yeah, oh, yeah. party every weekend but actually like it was getting to the point where it wasn't fun anymore it was going out couldn't remember what was happening coming back getting into all sorts of trouble and it was just like as, as many times I tried to reach out I just wasn't getting through and it was the most frustrating thing in the world and I eventually came around to the, the, the you know the realization of I just have to be available when you're ready to talk about this and I'm always going to be here and like whatever you need to get from me to help I'll be here but like the, you know you can't force anybody into anything you can't you really can't especially I think with when it comes to addiction and recovery is you know that that person's got to be ready yeah. and there's no forcing or convincing I think a lot of the time it, it's it doesn't even make sense to the person who's in that headspace so it's um i'm sure you've had the most immense feedback from that song people yeah. feeling like they've had to take that painful step back and go there's actually nothing else i can do apart from to say i'm here when you need me some of the stories that i've heard from that song are oh my god like just some of the deepest song like i'll give you a, one example um there was the, there was somebody out there in the world i won't name any names who was you know essentially saying I was about to shoot up heroin again and I heard your song and completely changed my mind. And I was just like, this is absolutely mad. How has this song that I've written about my friend managed to get to that person at that particular moment and like actually change the course of their life? And they're like, I've been in recovery now for years uh, and everything's going great and I've reconnected with my family and like everything is going amazingly. And I was just like, wow. it baffles my mind to hear stuff like that. Because when I wrote it, I was in a studio with Steve Mack one of my family members had just passed away and this thing was going on with my mate and I was just, I was so upset and we wrote it in like four hours and it's then you hear stuff like that years later that you just like, you can't quantify it, it's totally, it's totally mad but I am, I am buzzing to hear that like a, a song I wrote in a couple of hours has massively helped somebody. But this is it, you know, when everyone gets so obsessed with Spotify numbers, Instagram followers, it's like, that doesn't matter. No, that doesn't if matter. If you've got even one story where your music has touched someone in that way and changed the course of their life, I mean, I'm sure, again, everybody sat here today has had an experience with a song or with music or being at a gig where 
you feel those feelings and that connection or it's helped you heal, helped you move through something because you, you can feel that somebody understands what you've been through. It's, it's deeply powerful and I do hope the music industry goes back a bit more to focusing on that rather than all these numbers the whole time. It's a weird game at the moment. I think everything is so focused on numbers and especially mm. with TikTok coming along, it's just like, oh, what? I don't understand it. <laughs> well, I, don't. I honestly opened the app once and I went, <laughs> I d I d I d I d what? There's just like things coming up and happening. I'm too old. I think it can be like an amazing free promotional tool for anybody who's like an actor, musician, like, a, you know, whatever it is, I do think you can make it work for you, but don't get caught up in it because it is so easy to go on there and be like, oh, this person's getting more views, this person's song's gone viral, this has happened to this. And again, it's just like always a dead end, isn't it? It's like you get nowhere doing that. And that is unhealthy. And I think that is happening with so many artists who are, are really getting down because they're not achieving the numbers that their peers are achieving. I just think it's the wrong way to go about making music. We're like, where? what is the end goal? Because there's always going to be someone with more. And I think if you ask the person who had the most, most Spotify listens or the most, most followers, they'd still say, oh, I don't really feel like I've done my best work or I'm doing as well as I could. It, it's sort of meaningless, but it's a weird currency that we're still sort of dealing with. Yeah. I mean, are you to base your career on, like, the the how popular, like, a, a song is? You can't. Because you know? some, like, some of the songs from my first album hardly had any numbers on Spotify, but I, I'm not bothered. Like, there's one on there called Fade Away that is, like, one of my absolute favourite songs I've ever written, and I love doing it live because it's got this mad moment on it where I fully, like, rip to the top of my range. And, like, there's times I've done it where you just hear people in the crowd go... You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, and it's just one of those moments and I absolutely love it and I wrote it on my own when I was like, oh God, I don't know, like 19 before I even got signed or any of that stuff. And it is one of my favourite things I've ever done, but like no one really cared about it. But that's it because I think now in, in any circumstance, in or outside of work, we're putting so much focus on what the reaction is to the thing we've done rather than how did it feel for us. And there's this amazing... David Bowie uh, interview that I watch every now and again. It's so brilliant. It's from potentially the 80s, uh, maybe the... Uh, no, no, it wouldn't have been. It would have been early 90s because it was at the sort of conception of the World Wide Web. And yeah. David Bowie was basically foreseeing this bizarre unfurling of where we've ended up. Like, he could see that it was going to happen. And, and his take on it was, and this is really pertinent for anyone that is a creative that likes, we're well, yeah, doing whatever it is that's creative, that, that art in whatever capacity can't exist until someone's commented yeah. it and said, it's good, it's bad. And, and his take on it was, well, before all this World Wide Web stuff, we just said, this is art, and it was. Yeah. And, and it, you didn't have to have, you know, 100 million people or even two people say, I think it's this, I think it's that. It was art. I think that's, that's the really, really strange things about the labels right now. And I think this was happening more during the pandemic than it is at this particular moment. But people aren't getting signed on their songs anymore. I know. It's They're getting signed on their fan bases that they've managed to accumulate on their own on like TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is. And I'm like, okay, see, <laughs> A&Rs aren't even listening to the tunes. They're just being like, well, we know this is going to sell because... Yeah. You know, forty thousand people are already onto it. So let's sign this person, take half half of everything away from them because yeah. they'll do all the work for us. And I'm just a bit like, 
that definitely works in some cases, and, and there are amazing people who've built great fan bases up because their tunes are absolutely unbelievable, but there also is a case of being like, you're about to take that person who has had like a bit of a viral moment and you're going to thrust them into all this mad stuff. Yeah. Like, here, go and do a gig. Like, have you done a gig before? Not bothered. Go yeah, and do go one. And do it. You know what I mean? So it just, it's, it's so strange for me. It makes me feel like an old man. I've only just turned 30. <laughs> but, you know, I came up, like, playing in bands in, like, crap bars to seven people yeah. for years on end before I ever got anywhere or before I ever uploaded a song to the internet. So I'm not saying I'd paid my dues, but I at least knew what to expect and then slowly kind of climbed up this this slide and, and people now are just going like not being signed to being signed you've got a gig next week and all these industry people are coming down don't fuck it up so terrifying yeah, yeah, it's, mad. it's terrifying well, I think it goes back to okay well wh where are we putting our value here and where are we seeing as individuals our worth in the bit where people tell us we were good or the bit where we felt really good doing it because there will certainly be bits of my career that will go more under the radar or, or, or even, you know, when I was doing like big shiny TV shows before and, and you get a lot of feedback and everyone's going, oh, I like your dress, blah, blah, blah. But I could be doing something really tiny that I really believe in that makes me feel really good. And I think that's where culturally we've sort of, we've lost the balance. You know, where are we, where are we placing our worth and yeah. where are we placing value externally as well? For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. God, we've gone deep, Tom, haven't we? Well, you know, it's like my music, my interviews are also depressing. <laughs> <laughs> not in the slightest, not in the slightest. Um, let's talk about food then. Do you still get time to cook? Yeah, well, not obviously not like a crazy amount, but I love barbecuing, if I'm to be honest. That's like, I just like fire. I'm, yeah. I'm such a caveman. I love, I love just like having a great barbecue. And what are getting... you putting on that barbecue? Steaks are my favourite, if I'm to be honest with you. I know that's like not not going to go down well with some people out there, so apologies. Look, I'm, apologies. I don't eat meat, but you eat, you knock yourself out with your steaks, mate. Yeah, I mean that is my favourite thing to do on a barbecue every once in a while. Have a couple of mates around, chuck on a couple of steaks, have like you know some frozen margaritas, which have become my oh, new favourite drink in the world. The best drinks. And just like chill in the garden. I built I built this huge decking in my garden recently. I've got really into woodworking. And I'm honest, there's honestly been days where I'm like, maybe I should just do this instead. Yeah. This would be class. I'm great at building decking. <laughs> Built a shed last week. That's class. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, just chilling in the garden uh, with my mates, having a barbecue is my favourite kind of culinary experience. But that's the balance we're talking about. Like, when you do all the crazy stuff and relentless work, knowing that you can do that normal, lovely bit that, yeah. like nourishes you that's so important i think just doing too much of anything no matter how much you love it you're good it's gonna make you hate it yeah you know because there's days where i'm like well maybe i could just start renovating houses and that would be my thing you know <laughs> and then i'm like yeah but imagine if you, you were doing that every single day like you think you're gonna get a weekend off then you can have a break and go and be a singer at weekends yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> like you just end up hating that it's just yeah. important to Trying to trying to get a good balance on the yeah, balance. What I was thinking, Tom, yes. and I'm just going with the flow here, guys, is that we might open it out and see if anyone's got any questions. Obviously, being British is like mortifying putting your hand up. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Nobody look at me. But I'm I'm imagining there's someone that wants to be the first person to do that and ask a question. Be brave. Oh, what's your name? Jess. Jess, you legend. Um, I didn't have mental health problems growing up. It was more when I actually left home, I think. Uh, when I first 
moved to London and just generally like over the course of between like 20 and 30 for sure I had a bit of a struggle with depression and anxiety and just you know again songwriting was a reason for me to to like it was a way for me to get through that I was pouring all of my emotions everything I was concerned about into songwriting so that was kind of like the solution for me and I never and as I said like I never thought I'd be a songwriter I started writing songs because of that and it was getting me out of like a bit of a funk so yeah I've definitely up, up and down over the years for sure Thank you, Jess. It's a wonderful question. Anyone else feeling brave? Yes, what's your name there? Claire. Hi, Claire. <laughs> oh, this is my favourite question we've ever had. Have I got any, got any pets? pets? Uh, I don't. My sister is allergic to all animals with oh. hair. I know. it's So So I had a fish that we got from the, from the fair. Fish. And the poor thing, it, it lasted like, I think it was like 14 years my dad was looking oh after God. it. Oh, God. Yeah, he swapped tanks like four times. Oh, my God. I came home one day, he'd put it in the bath, and the poor thing just swam around the end in a circle because wow. it'd been in the tank its whole life. So, um, No, I'd love to get a dog one day. That would be absolutely class. My, my friend had a black Labrador called Boo when we were growing up, and I, I spent a lot of time at his house, and it was my favourite dog in the whole world, and it just... It was endlessly happy to see everybody and just was such a joyous creature. And I thought, one day, I need that in my life. So yeah. when I leave London, maybe at some point, if I do, uh, and I've got a bit more space and not, you know, a flat, uh, I'll consider getting a dog. This is a Tom Walker on his sort of farm with his homemade decking and a renovation yeah. business on the side. Absolutely. And a dog. You know, completely self-sustainable, like... Yeah. Solar panels on the roof, that Love. kind of thing. Water regeneration unit. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for it. That's <laughs> happening, big time. Um, yes, what's your name? Kaylee. Caitlin, sorry. Hi, Caitlin. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, obviously, love being a northerner. It's class. Uh, in London, I have. I have found it um, definitely an experience. Life is just so much faster here. Like, I even noticed it yesterday. I got off um, a plane and then got, got to the train station at Gatwick to get the Gatwick Express. And, like, the speed that people were going from yeah. the plane to the train, even though there was one, like, every 10 minutes, like, people were running. And I would just, I'd never, I'd never, like, I've seen an old lady dive through the doors <laughs> on the tube onto a side when there was another tube in two minutes. And you're like... What are you risking yeah. your life here? You know? <laughs> and I'm from I'm from like a little town called Chelford near Macclesfield, which no one has ever heard of because it's got two shops and a pub. Let's also be honest, people are not as friendly in London, are they? I'm from London, and I'm saying that out loud. But when I go on the train, I go on the train to Manchester for work sometimes. And if you've got a train where the team are from Manchester, like last time I went up about a month ago, the lady who was offering the, the snacks or whatever was like do you want me to find you something vegetarian? I'll go out the back and I'll, I'll knock something up for you. I'll try. And I was thinking, what? This would never happen. People don't even say hello to you in London. It's just, it's weird. It People is, are friendlier up there. It's really strange. I think it's, it's maybe not that they're, they're less friendly. It's like an openness to talk to strangers yeah. gets more and more the further away you get from London and the closer you get to Scotland. Because yeah. getting on a train in Glasgow, getting the last train, it's mad how many people you'll end up talking to. Yeah. Everyone's having a great time. They're all half caught, you know what I mean? And like, so friendly. But if you get on the last train in London, it's like... If it's someone the said hi to you in the street, you'd be like, excuse me? Yeah. 
What, why are you talking to me? Do we know what? each other? Yeah. Why are you saying hello? <laughs> I know, it's very weird. I reckon we've got time for one more question. Yes, what's your name? Lily. Lily. Hi, Lily. Is being famous part of your Oh. Wow, that's a great question. Um, I definitely think... To be honest, like... When, like in, in 2000, I want to say 2019, where I released my album and it went number one, and I was on like Graham Norton and all that kind of stuff. That was like actually a bit mad. Like I was at festivals and like everyone would stop me and, and like want a selfie to the point where you look around and you're surrounded. And I'm just there with like me one mate, no security, completely underprepared for the situation. And it gets to the point where you just kind of have to be rude because you're kind of like, oh, if this gets more out of hand, I'm going to be putting myself and my mate at risk here. So like when there's 40 people around you and I'm like, I'm terribly sorry, I'm going to have to go. I need I'm to run now. Sorry. And there's like a man chasing you down the road going, get a picture with me daughter. She's your biggest fan. Don't do this to her. And you're like, oh God, I'm so sorry, mate. Do you know what I mean? So I think that aspect of it is, um, I did not ex know what to expect from that. Not that I didn't expect that, but that is um, a bit mad. But you know, I would say in general, uh, people are overly nice to you, which is, uh, it's just class, to be honest. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've, I've still not managed to blag a free car out of it, so I'm not... Oh, I'm we'll obviously I'm obviously not famous enough, because that was when, like, you know, that's when you... When you get a free Range Rover, I reckon that's when you've, you've, you've made it. Well, I think we're on route. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all right. Um, thank you so much for your brilliant questions, and, and thank you for listening. And I'd just like to say a massive thank you, Tom, for being on Happy Place, for turning up to the festival and for being on the podcast. Thank you so it's much. It's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Nice one. Well, as you heard, Tom will be releasing new music and I cannot wait to hear it. Thank you so much for bringing so much fun to our talk stage in Chiswick, Tom, you absolute legend with your sweaty beanie hat on. Now, make sure you've hit the follow button on your podcast app so you always know when the next episode of Happy Place is available, which, incidentally, will actually be tomorrow. I know, another brilliant live chat for you. I can't wait for you to hear it. And I have to say, it's a particularly moving one that I cannot wait for you to hear. Thank you again to the lovely Tom, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you brilliant souls for listening. I love you. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.